this week, the uh, church Bible reading plan has been mainly in Nehemiah, and the reading today is from Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 12. And uh, it's got to do with the uh, exiles coming back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple was last week, and then this week was about rebuilding the walls. So it's about Ezra preaching to the, uh, the people that are back in Israel. And I'll just ask if, because of what's in the, um, the reading, if you could all stand while I give the reading, please. Okay, so Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jarman, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Henan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the, they had understood the words that were declared to them. Thank you, Colin, for doing that reading. I feel like he deserves a round of applause for getting through all those names. 
Yeah, so if you don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm the pastor here at the Bridge Church. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, And if you're newer to the Bridge, this year we've been going through the story of the Bible over the course of the year. And we've been doing a Bible reading plan as a church that, that takes us through the story of the Bible. And then each week, as Colin mentioned, our sermon has come from something in that week's Bible reading. And so we started out in the book of Genesis, the very beginning. And we saw God create everything. We saw that God made humanity. He placed them in the Garden of Eden so that they could be his people living in his place, under his rule, experiencing his blessing. And humanity decided that they did not want to live under God's rule. They wanted to be more like God. They wanted to make decisions for themselves. They rejected God's rule and they were banished from God's place. They forfeited God's blessing. And pretty much the whole rest of the Bible is the process of God restoring humanity, God doing for humanity what we can't do for ourselves. So God in Genesis chapter 12 shows up to Abraham and he tells him, I'm going to make a new people for myself from you and your family. And I'm going to bless them. And they're going to live in this place that I'm going to give to them. And it's going to be great. And so we've been following Abraham's family as they go through step after step. And what we see as we go through the story of Abraham's family, the nation of Israel, is they constantly again and again and again refuse to live under God's rule. God blesses them and they turn back to idols. God blesses them again and they keep making bad choices until eventually the day comes where God sends the entire nation into exile in a foreign land and they're slaves And so the past few weeks, we've been looking at what happens when they come back from this exile. We saw a couple weeks ago with Ezra as they were rebuilding the temple so that they could once again worship God. This week in our reading, we we looked at Nehemiah coming back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that God's place, the the holy city of Jerusalem and the temple where they worship him can be restored, can be safe, can be a, a functioning city again. And now, as we come to today's passage, they have finished their rebuilding project on the walls. They're having a community celebration to celebrate this new chapter that they're in, in their people's history. And there's a question facing them. What trajectory do we want to be set on as we start this new chapter in our, pe- in our people's history? And what we see today is that they want this, this new chapter to be built around God's word. They want to live under God's rule so they can experience God's blessing. They look back at the past and they realize the big mistake our our ancestors constantly made is rejecting God's rule. We want to live under God's rule so we can experience God's blessing. And we see some incredible examples in this passage of how we are called as God's people to interact with God's word. And so we're going to look today at their interaction with God's word. Sorry, we only have one screen working, but we're going to see today that proper living comes from a proper relationship with God's word. We'll see a proper hunger, proper teaching, and proper response. But before we jump in and look at the passage, let's pray. God, what an amazing gift that you have spoken to us. That when we open this book, it's not just human wisdom, but it's your words, the words of the God who made the universe. I pray that you would teach us to interact properly with your word. Show us today how, how to know you through your word, how to live lives 
that are lived properly in light of your word, God. Be at work in our hearts and our minds and our lives through this time together so that we will love you more and trust you more and know you more and obey you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So first up, a proper hunger for God's word. Now the people in this passage have just accomplished something great. They rebuilt the entire wall all the way around the city of Jerusalem, which will give them protection and defense. It will allow them to have more control over trade and who can come in and out of the city. It will allow them to to function as a city again, as a proper city. And they, now that they've completed this task, they have a huge citywide, actually not just the city, but people from all the surrounding areas come into the city to have a celebration because they've just done something great. And as they gather for this celebration, the people of the community ask their leaders for something. Now, if we as a church community were to have a party and you got to ask me and the elders for one thing, what would you ask for? I don't know what your answer would be, but these people on this day, they asked for their leaders to get the scroll of the Bible, open it up, and read it to them. Is that what any of you would have asked for from us? Maybe not, <laughs> maybe one of you. Um, and, and I think for some of us, we may wonder why they would do that. Like of all the things that you could ask your leaders to do for you, why would you choose this one? It, it might seem kind of boring. It might seem like there are better or more productive things that we could ask for. But for the Israelites, they believed that the greatest and most beneficial thing that their leaders could do for them that day was open up the Bible and read it to them directly, which is incredible, right? And, and I think one thing that I want us to see today is that they had an incredible hunger for God's word. They really believed that if they were going to be the people God wanted them to be, their community needed to be built around God's word and on the foundation of God's word. And that's the first ingredient we're looking at today of living with a proper relation to God's word is having that proper hunger for God's word. And there are a number of reasons why it's important for us to have a hunger for God's word and why it's good for us to have a hunger for God's word. The first one being just the simple fact that God has spoken. Like when was the last time you stopped and just thought about how amazing that is? If you go to the first page of the Bible, It starts with God speaking. And when God speaks, there's nothing and then there's something. There's darkness and then there's light. Life comes into being out of non-life because God opens his mouth and speaks. That's incredible. And that God who spoke with that power has spoken to us in a book so that we can know him and understand him. That's amazing. I mean, if Elon Musk speaks, people listen. Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, right? Like if you don't believe people listen to Elon Musk, just look what happens to crypto markets anytime he tweets about them. When Elon Musk speaks, people listen. When Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple speaks, Millions of people from around the world log on to watch it happen live because they want to know what's the next cool toy that Apple's going to put out. When celebrities speak, people listen. And, And even if it's something that the celebrity knows nothing about, people just want to listen because they're like, oh, I like hearing this person's opinion on the world. 
right? There's this podcast called Armchair Expert, where an actor gets his friends to come on and talk about various different topics that presumably neither of them know anything about. But it's a wildly popular podcast because people love listening to celebrities and hearing their thoughts on life. Now, if we listen to Elon Musk and Tim Cook and celebrities who do cool things and make cool things in the world God made, how much more important is it for us to listen to the God who made the world in the first place? God has spoken to us. That is incredible. And that alone is enough that it, it should give us a hunger for his word. But that's not all. There's more. Not only has God spoken to us, he's spoken to us in a way that we can understand. Have any of you ever been to a lecture by someone who's like an expert in their field? Someone with like multiple PhDs who knows everything about this topic humanly possible to know. And you sit there and you're listening to them and they're talking and you just think to yourself, I know everything they're saying is brilliant, but it means nothing to me. Because for me to understand a fraction of what they're saying right now, I myself would need at least a master's degree in this field and I don't have it. And this person in the course of learning and becoming an expert forgot what it was like to be a normal person and forgot how to talk to normal people. You ever experienced that? Now, if that's possible for a human speaker who's created by God just like the rest of us, how much more possible would that be for God? To just speak in a way that none of us could understand and hold us accountable for understanding it, even though we can't. And then just to, to get upset at us for not listening to him, even though there's no way we could have understood it. God could have done that, but he doesn't. He speaks to us in human languages. He has his words collected in a book so that we can look back and read them thousands of years later. And so that when we read them and then forget what we read, we can come back and double check again to make sure. God's word is spoken to us in a way that is understandable by normal human beings. We actually see in this passage, the people here believed that God's word was something that they could understand. They see in verse two, it says they came before the assembly. It was the men and the women and all who could understand what they heard. That's not saying like there were some people who were too dumb to get it. And so they just left them out of the party. No, it's saying Everyone was there, the men, the women, the children. There was this assumption in the community. Everyone can understand God's word. And so we're gonna have everyone here to listen to it because God has spoken in a way that we can understand. That's incredible. That's another reason for us to have a hunger for God's word. And then the third reason for us to have a hunger for God's word is that God's word brings life. Again, we see this on the first page of the Bible. God speaks and everything comes into existence. But it's also throughout the Bible, we have constant reminders of the fact that God's word brings life. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word gives life. One of the most amazing pictures of this truth in the Bible comes from the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. God brings the prophet of Ezekiel uh, to this valley and the valley is just full of dead, dry bones. And God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, 
can these bones live again? And Ezekiel's like, I have no idea. God, you're the only one who knows that. And God just tells him, preach a sermon to these bones and watch what happens. And so Ezekiel just starts preaching to them God's word, speaking God's word. And as Ezekiel speaks God's word, the bones start moving and they start coming together and reforming into the shape of bodies. And God tells Ezekiel, keep going. And so as he keeps going, muscles and tendons and skin form on these bones. And what was once a valley of dead, dry bones is now full of living people because of God's word, because God's word brings life. In today's passage, we see God's word fills the people of the community with a deep, life-giving, celebratory joy. God's word brings life. There are so many reasons that it's worthwhile to listen to God's word. God has spoken. God has spoken in a way that we can understand. God's word brings life. If we want to be a community that's living the way God wants us to live, that's living in a way that puts us in line for God's blessing, we need to be a community that has a hunger for God's word. But a hunger alone for God's word isn't enough because it's possible to have a hunger for God's word, but totally misunderstand it, which is why we need a second ingredient, which is proper teaching. I have a question. You don't need to put your hand up, but I'm sure a few people will nod and I'll know that, that I'm on the right track here. Has anyone here ever sat down to read your Bible and gotten like two sentences in or maybe two paragraphs in and, and been like, what did I just read? I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm kind of lost here right now. I, and, and I think if, if that's been your experience, you probably have this feeling as I talk about how amazing God's word is and the hunger that we should have for it, you probably might be beating yourself up right now. Being like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a failure. I should love the Bible like Eric is talking about, but if I'm honest, I don't. And no matter how hard I try, I just don't get excited about reading it. Can any of you relate to that? A couple, maybe a good, a good majority. Uh, because the reality is it's hard to understand. And in today's passage, the Israelites, they're gathered to read God's word. They're all there, the men, the women, the children, because they believe that God speaks to all of us in a way that we can understand. And yet, despite the fact that God speaks to all of us in a way that we can understand, if you look at verse seven and eight, you see that they actually had a full team of teachers there to, to teach them what God's word was saying. And since Colin just read out the list of names, I feel like I need to read out the list of names too so that I'm not just making him do all the hard work. These are the teachers they had there. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah. That's a big team of teachers to help the people understand what God is saying in his word. And it doesn't exactly explain to us how this process worked. It seemed like Ezra and his team were up on the stage and they had this scroll and they would take turns reading from the scroll and then they would pause. And as they paused, these teachers would go around and walk through the people and help explain to them what it was saying. Maybe if the people had questions, they would answer their questions. They would help connect what was being said to their lives today. And that's actually a big part of why we do sermons the way that we do here. We have the scripture reading first so we can hear God's word. 
And then we have someone come up and explain to us what's being said here, because that's the pattern that we see right here in this passage. But it does give us a question. If God's word is clear enough for us to understand, why do we still need teachers? And there are a handful of reasons for this. First, yes, God has spoken clearly using human languages, but the Bible was written in a different language than we speak today in a different time than we speak today, in different cultures than we live in today. And so it just makes it difficult to understand. And that was a reality for us, but it's also a reality for the people in this passage because the Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew. The people in this passage had spent the bulk of their lives in exile in Persia where they spoke Aramaic. And so now they're coming back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and they've been speaking Aramaic their whole life, and they probably speak some Hebrew, but it's not really their heart language. It's sort of like, you know, like an overseas Chinese family that maybe the parents were born and raised in Australia or Great Britain or America or Canada, and then they come back to Hong Kong. And some families were very diligent about keeping up their Chinese while they were gone. And so the parents and the kids are both completely fluent in Chinese, no problem. But then there's other families where maybe the, the parents are fluent in Chinese, but the kids aren't because the parents didn't bother teaching their kids when they were back in the States. Or maybe there's a family where they came back young enough where the parents never learned Chinese growing up overseas, but their kids have been here from an early enough age that they just learned it playing at the playground with friends. And there are some people who they can speak Chinese if it's a casual everyday conversation. But if you start talking about anything technical or anything related to the Bible, they're just lost. That's what it would have been like for the people at this reading with their Hebrew. They're, they're getting up there and it would have been like someone standing up to read a Chinese Bible to a group of overseas Chinese. Some people would get it no problem. Some people are just totally lost and need lots of help. And most of the group is probably somewhere in the middle. And it's true for them. It's true for us. They needed translation help. We need translation help because most of us don't speak the biblical languages. We need someone to interpret the Bible for us if we're gonna understand what it's saying. But then we also need help understanding the cultural background of the passage because the Bible is written for different people in a different place and different time than us. And yes, it speaks to us, but we need to understand how our world is the same as theirs and how our world is different than theirs so that we can understand where and how to make connections between their world and ours. And I know that's confusing, that's difficult, but I take a lot of comfort in the fact that even in Bible times, even for people who are living in the same time and culture and speaking the same language as other people writing the Bible, they still sometimes found it confusing. Like, did you know that 2 Peter 3.16, Peter is writing about Paul, living at the same time, both apostles, like living same language. And Peter says, there are some things in Paul's letters that are difficult to understand. Now, if an apostle who speaks the same language and lives in the same time as another apostle finds it hard to understand, I think that gives us some freedom and permission to sometimes have trouble understanding the Bible. And that's why God gives us teachers to help us understand the difficult parts of the Bible. The second reason we need help understanding the Bible is that the Bible and reading it and studying it is not meant to be just a knowledge download. 
It's meant to transform our lives completely. But it can sometimes be hard to see how it's supposed to do that. It's hard, like, like I just said, partially because it's written to different people, different cultures, different times. But it's also hard because all of us are sinners. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have a sin nature inside of us that just blinds us to God's word. Our sin nature makes it so that when God shows us clearly what he wants for us, we just choose not to see part of that picture that's uncomfortable for us. And it's not only that we're blind to that part of the picture, but we're blind to our blindness. Like we don't even know that we have blind spots. And so we're, we're doubly stuck when it comes to understanding. Like I had a situation this week, I was sitting down writing the sermon and I was feeling a little bit stressed and anxious and overwhelmed about the amount of stuff that I had to do. And I was feeling like all of this stuff is just resting on my shoulders. It's my responsibility. My, I have to do it. And then as I was feeling all this stress and anxiety, I was writing about how Jesus is the true savior who rescues us and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And somehow in that moment, I completely missed the fact that that was exactly what I needed to hear to cure my stress and anxiety. I need to stop feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulders, trust that Jesus can handle it, and so I don't have to. But it wasn't until the next day that I sat down to reread my notes that I realized, like, what was I doing yesterday? Because I was blind, and I was blind to my blindness, and so I was able to write something to teach to everyone else about how powerful Jesus is and how much he can do for us that we can't do for ourselves, and I completely missed all the ways that I needed that truth. That's why we need teachers, because teachers can point out those blind spots in us. Even if they're not a super highly trained teacher, just a friend who can see us from a different perspective than we see ourselves from, and can point out ways that God's word can connect to our lives that we may not have realized. It's so powerful to have teachers to help us understand and apply God's word. And God has given his people teachers because he loves us. We need teachers. They're so important in helping us to understand and apply God's word. Even our teachers need teachers. We need multiple teachers so that we can all be teaching each other. And it's such good news that God has given us teachers. It was true with the Israelites and Ezra in this passage that we're looking at today. And it's also true in our day. And the New Testament lists out the different gifts that God has given to the church. One of the things on the list is teachers. God gives the church teachers to help us understand his word because he loves us. I mean, that's part of why I'm here at the church, right? <laughs> I'm not, obviously not the only teacher of the Bible here at the bridge, but a huge part of why the church has me on staff is to help teach the Bible to the church so that we can understand it and apply it to our lives because we need teachers to help us understand the Bible. Yes, it's written in a clear way that a normal human being can understand but sometimes we need a little help to understand it and apply it to our lives. And I realize there are probably some people here who are like, you know, Eric, it's great that we have teachers. I'm so thankful for that. But I would still love to just get better at reading God's word on my own and being able to get excited about it. And if that's you, I have a couple, a couple thoughts for you, a couple tips that might be helpful. First, recognize that like with anything else in life, this takes practice and time. 
So for Christmas, I got a skateboard. I have never skated before in my life, but Judah is getting older. He's going to be on wheels soon, and I wanted wheels of my own to be able to keep up. And so I got a skateboard for Christmas, and the first time I went out on that skateboard, guess what happened? Oh man, I was taking it down the half pipe, doing flips. It was amazing. No, of course not. You all know that's ridiculous. I fell off. And why did I fall off? Because it takes time to learn how to skate, not because I suck. (laughs) But when you fall off the first time you're trying to skate, you basically have two options. You can say, well, that, that settles it. I suck. I'm not a skater. Or you can say, I need to practice. This doesn't come overnight. And it's the same with reading the Bible. We, it, it takes time. It takes practice. It's a miraculous gift from God, but it's not magic. To learn how to really understand the Bible and get excited about it, it takes practice just like anything else in life does. Which means if you want to get better at reading and understanding the Bible for yourself, you're going to have to push through some time where you're not excited about it to get to that level where you are excited about it. My second tip, surround yourself with good teachers. Come to church on Sundays so you can hear God's word taught and get a clear idea of how to read it for yourself. If you're doing our church Bible reading plan, uh, you'll notice that in the right-hand column for each week, we have some videos from the Bible project that we've linked it to. So that as you're reading and you're like, what's going on here? You can click in and get them to explain what's happening in this book of the Bible so that you can understand it better as you read it for yourself. Also, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help if you're having trouble understanding a passage. Like, I love having conversations with people about what does this part of the Bible mean? And we've got people all around us in the church who can help discuss this and think through different things together so that you don't have to be doing it alone. And then my third tip is read the Bible in community. I know in our world, we we tend in churches to focus on telling people to read the Bible for themselves, and that's good. That's a good practice to have. But actually in the Bible, it talks way more about reading the Bible out loud with other people than it does about reading the Bible quietly by yourself. And there's a reason for that. I mean, we actually see them doing that in today's passage, right? They're reading the Bible out loud to the entire group. And there's a power to reading the Bible out loud with other people because you can talk about what you read with one another. And even if no one in the group is an expert on how to read the Bible and understand it, The reality is different people are going to realize different things from the passage, and they're going to ask different questions that force you to think about it in different ways. You're going to be able to make different connections to your life and your world because of the fact that you're looking at this with other people who see it differently than you do. And so maybe just find someone that you're friends with and get together and and read a chapter and just ask, what stuck out to you there? What are you confused about here? Any thoughts on how this could connect to our lives? Simply doing that on a regular basis has great power for helping us find a new level of engagement with God's word and a new excitement for God's word. So hopefully those tips are helpful for you. But remember, as it comes to God's word, our goal is not just to understand it, but to live it. And so that brings us to our third proper reaction to God's word, which is proper responses. Now, 
I don't know what type of churches most of you have been part of throughout your life. In the churches I've been part of, it's very rare to see extreme emotional responses after the sermon. It's very, it's very rare to see like the entire church just in tears. Maybe one or two people will be in tears, but rare to see the entire church in tears. Or it's rare to see the entire church just spontaneously be like, God's word is so amazing, we need to throw a party right now. Have any of you ever been in a church where they were like, God's word is so amazing, we need to party right now? No, okay. So I'm not alone. Uh, And I think the churches I've been a part of over the years, they value proper order and self-control, which are good things. But in today's passage, we don't see that at all. What we see is that the people hear God's word taught to them and they are devastated. Like they are crying uncontrollably because they realize they have failed to live up to God's standard in their lives. And on one level, that's a right response because God's word takes the proud and self-confident among us and breaks us down by showing us how horrible our sin is. But the story doesn't end there because the leaders of the people come up to them and they say, hey guys, this is not a day for weeping. This is a day for celebration. And so instead of crying, they just stop and throw a nationwide party. How great is that, right? They, they eat the best food, they drink the best wine, they find their neighbors who are too poor to prepare good food of their own and they give extra food to their neighbors so they can eat too. And in verse 12, it tells us they experienced this joy because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The people read the Bible, they start crying uncontrollably, and then they throw a huge party. And the party, actually, they come back the next day to read the Bible some more, and they're like, hey, God actually told us to have a week-long party every year at this time of year, so we're just going to keep the party going for another week. It's great. (laughs) They just read the Bible, and they're like, week-long party, let's do it. How great is God? But how does this one book give such opposite and extreme emotional responses to the people? And the answer is because it shows us the holiness of God and the grace of God. These people, they've been reading through the law. They've been looking at the commands that God gives us for how to live and the commands for how to come into his presence and his commands to be holy as he is holy, to be set apart from the world as he is set apart from the world. And as you look at these things and you see the way that God calls us to live and you contrast your actual life with that, there's a gap there. There's something that we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing. There are lots of things we're not supposed to be doing that we are doing. And it shows us that we can never, ever on our own strength live up to God's standard. That we, by every standard of justice in the universe, deserve God's wrath, which is bad enough news to crush anyone's spirit and get them down. I mean, if you hear about God's commands and you think about your life in relation to them and it doesn't just discourage you, you might need to step back and ask whether you actually believe the Bible is true because we all fall short. But the good news is the Bible doesn't leave us there. It tells us that when we were at our worst, when we had fallen short, when we were unable to rescue ourselves, God came to us to rescue us from ourselves. That when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God rescued them. 
When the Israelites were in exile in Babylon for 70 years, God rescued them. We, we see in Exodus chapter 34 that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. The Israelites, they were sad at first, but then they had a party because they at first saw God's justice and God's wrath, but then they saw God's grace. And the thing that kept them from seeing that at the start isn't that his grace was missing, but that when you look at the Old Testament, God's grace is always there in shadow form. It's there, you can see that God forgives, but how? How is God able to forgive us for everything we've done while still holding true to his justice? And that's why they were crying so intensely because they saw this, they saw their guilt, but they didn't get where the grace would come from. And that's where the teachers came in again, because the teachers came and said, remember grace. Remember that your guilt is not the end of the story. Remember that God rescues you. And in light of that, you can celebrate. And so when they understood that, they began to celebrate. But for us, living when we do now, we can see in full what they only saw in shadow form. In the New Testament, we get to see what all of the shadows were pointing to. We get an answer to this question of how can God be just and fair and right and still forgive people who have failed so badly to obey him? How can God give us joy and blessing despite all of our failure? And the answer is Jesus. The book of John tells us that Jesus is God's word made flesh. All the amazing things we've been saying about God's word today, it's true not only of this book, but of a person. God stepped down into human history as a human himself so we can understand who he is, so that we can know him. And Jesus, he perfectly fulfills God's law. He lives a life of perfect obedience to God. And then in his death, he pays the price for my and your rebellion against God and our sin. Through Jesus, God can be perfectly just and perfectly forgiving of sinners like us. Yes, God's word breaks down the proud and rebellious, but it also takes the broken and humble and builds us up. Not so we can be full of ourselves, not so we can stand on our own strength, but so we can be full of God's spirit and God's power. And it's when we understand both God's justice and God's grace that we're finally able to respond properly to God's word. And responding properly to God's word involves responding with all of ourselves. It's a mental response. We see that in verse 12, that the people understood what was saying. We respond properly to God's word when we listen closely enough and study deeply enough to get it into our heads. But it's also an emotional response, something that grips our hearts. What has gotten into our heads needs to get to our hearts. The Israelites this day, they were on an emotional roller coaster. They were in the depths of despair and then the heights of rejoicing. Responding properly to God will involve our emotions. Tears aren't bad they might actually be a sign that for the first time we've understood the truth of how perfect God is and how far short we fall of him. Laughter isn't bad. It might be the sign that for the first time we actually get grace. So it's a mental response that involves our head. It's an emotional response that engages our hearts. It's also a physical response that engages our hands. 
We see in verse nine and 10, the people say, the leaders say to the people, look, if you want to respond properly to God, what you need to do is throw a party. Again, how great is that? That would be a great, a great day to be at. <laughs> they say, your sermon application today, have a party. And it's not going to be that every day. Some days it will be stop engaging the sin that you've been stuck in for so long. Some days it's going to be look for the people around you in need and care for them. That was actually part of the party command here. But responding properly to God's word, it's going to involve all of us, mind, emotions, and body, head, heart, and hands. And so I want to ask you, what does it look like today for you to respond properly to God's word? Do you need to work on developing a deeper hunger for God's word? Do you need to take more time to sit under the teaching of God's word so you can understand it more clearly and how it relates to your life? Do you need a more tangible response either in your head, heart, or hands to God's word? Remember, we don't do these things because they somehow make God love us. We do these things because God already loves us. He's already shown us who he is so he can give us life and we can know him and trust him and follow us. By doing this, we're not earning God's love, but we're saying yes to his invitation to give us true and deep and abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what a gift it is and for the fact that it gives life to your people. Forgive us for the times we've taken it for granted. Forgive us for the times we've ignored it. God, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to know you through your word. Give us a hunger to respond properly to your word. Continue to give us good teachers of your word who can point us back towards you through your word. God, we love you. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.